inviting you to tune in the Down Home Show every Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Hetzel, and you're listening to Living Writers. I'm here today with Joshua Beckman. Welcome, Joshua. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's fabulous it's, to be here. Well, it's great to see you here in the studio, and um, and uh, we're this is a pre-taped show. Uh, where it's April sixteenth, two thousand nine, the day that we're talking here. And thanks to Alex Bellhodge for manning the engineering, all our voice levels, making us sound good. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we're in good hands, Joshua. Um, so currently, you're you're on part of a, a book tour for your latest book, uh, just out this year from Wave Press. Take it, and and you're you're here in Ann Arbor reading at Shaman Drum Bookshop. Uh, where where did you just hail? Where did what were some of your stops along the way, Joshua? Oh, um, well, my first stop was in. Austin, Texas. I went to Austin and Houston and did a bunch of readings. And then I came back, I came to the East Coast and I went with two other poets, uh, Chelsea Minnis and Noel Cocott. And we went all around New England. We went to West Point, which was very interesting, and Amherst and Providence. And I did a bunch in New York. Um, all for this current book, then, Joshua. Oh, yeah, Take all it. In the it's last all month. with all in the last month. Yeah. Okay, so I know that traveling is just intrinsic to your very nature, <laughs> but that's amazing. You've just been on the road so so much, and and if you're and if you're in one place, you're not really in one place at all because you 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 live between New York and Seattle, right? Yes. <laughs> so I'm always traveling. Yeah. Right. In one way or another, it's so funny for me. This is probably the smallest tour for a book I've done. Um, and I, maybe it'll be about 25 readings. Uh, but for each of the books, each of my books I've done, that would be the smallest. Uh, oh. smallest. And it also seems like some of the, the traveling um, and touring becomes is project-based, is is what then becomes a book even, or, or, or is a generative. Little bit, for... A little bit. Not, you know, it's, it's generative. It's... Um, means a lot to me and I think a lot during it and I write but not a ton um I think the the most um the most sort of productive that uh that a tour was was one I did with Matthew Rohr uh who went to school here and um we uh we went around and made an album from when we were touring for our book Nice Hat Thanks uh, we made an album from that. We wrote poems on the road. And when I go either with other people but to or on my own, not as a kind of collaborative duo, it's more 
Oh, it's more about taking things in than, than making things. That makes a lot of sense. That makes sense, Joshua. Um, I, I just realized also that I, I haven't given you an introduction yet. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> and so what I'll just do is I read the, the, the um, short bit that's on the back of Take It, which is very short, and then we'll fill in some facts, okay. um, if you don't mind. Joshua Beckman is the author of numerous books of poetry, including Your Time Has Come and Shake. He lives in Brooklyn and Seattle. Oh, so we got more specific with where in New York you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've got Brooklyn there. Yeah. Um, and so born in New Haven, Connecticut, mm -hmm. and yeah. then educated in uh, at Hampshire College, Amherst. Yeah. Um, where there's, uh, it's, it seems like you've always, uh, it said that you studied poetry oh. and the art of the book. Right. Is that, is that true? Am no. I getting the right facts? No. You no, know, it's not. Ah. I mean, in fact, I realized. <laughs> Wikipedia. I know. Or wherever from <laughs> I was I was introduced last night I had been talking to I've been talking to this group of people and saying that I hadn't um, I mean I studied poetry and that I took a few workshops when I was in school but my as an undergrad as an undergrad okay. but my degree was in visual art which was it was in the art of the book and bookmaking and printing and binding and oh. um, and I wrote a lot of poems and it would probably be the equivalent of like a minor it's a very it's a non-traditional school so um, I, my real focus was visual art it's why I went to the school but during the time poetry was growing uh, in my life and um, certainly, and I had uh, in particular a wonderful professor there who um, who I did take a few classes with. For writing. For, who, for poetry, who, who, who is Paul the, Jenkins. Oh, okay. Um, and Hello, the, Paul, if you're Yeah, hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, but, but basically, I was there to be an art student, or um, was it when, was it also um, paintings and sculpture, or was it always the artifact of actually creating the book, like a printing press, or, or well, it started actually with uh, photography and film, and um, and then I started printing my photographs and wanting to make books out of them, and then wanting to collage words in, and slowly um, images disappeared from the books, and most. Many of the books I made were, um, well, I remember going into art class, uh, like to a critique and coming in with essentially a little book with only words on it. And they were, it was a little bit like you're in the wrong place. And I, and I also in my little studio space at school, I had typewriters and people complained that that was an inappropriate use of the space uh, because... I was I was doing something that wasn't art if they could hear it typing away. But isn't away. that so funny? Because the you're like, <laughs> if you're if you're supposed to be in league with art, you're supposed to be in league with either resistance or going further than ever or or being inclusive. And so it's so funny that right. people would say, "Oh, your studio doesn't look exactly yeah it, like it, it's meant to with those typewriters." They made it <laughs> seem like I had a calculator. Like I was in there like doing business or you know some something it's, which. Yeah, you're um, an accountant on the side. You gotta make ends meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I was writing poetry. I was interested in poetry, and I was doing it a little bit at school. But I didn't. I really, I, I didn't take English classes. I didn't do. I just really studied art. And so it was really, it was, it was almost really Paul Jenkins that that um, that that sparked this. Or do you think when you were in high school, you were you had started to come to poetry on your own, or 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 even 
or writing, or was it really no. just it was? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't it, want to focus on. Yeah. I, I think that I think that um, it was something that I did in high school. It was something I continued to do in writing? college, writing, okay. and. Um, I think that when I came around to the book, you know, I had a bunch of professors there who were um, who were interesting to me. I actually, the truth is that that when the change happened, I dropped out of college. So it's not quite fair to. <laughs> I left college. I moved to San Francisco because my uh, because some some division was happening where 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 writing. I think I, I look back on it now and realize that that was a point at which things divided for me. I moved to San Francisco. I And that means going west in some way. Like that was important to you, moving somewhere from where you were from. Is that when you're um, saying things divided for me? Like oh, what? I mean things like the visual art and the poetry. I think I moved there and I started typing a lot, you know, and I started, I remember finding one of the most important poets to me was Jack Spicer and I found his book there and I had never read him before and it really really blew my mind and how did you find it Joshua what was the um the story there near where I lived there was yeah there was the deadly combination of a donut shop and a bookstore right next to each other and I would sometimes go go over to visit one and end up in the other um and I mean, I can still very much visualize it. Just a used bookstore, which is where I found most of my most of my books, um, most of the poets, and uh, that it's. Um, I ended up I ended up just reading that and finding in it some something that connected to my interest in in visual art and all of the things that I was doing. Uh, it was just an interesting, very different kind of poetry than I had encountered before and one that um, one that I connected with. And I ended up, because he had lived in San Francisco, I ended up going to, through his archives in Berkeley while I was there. And so really felt very connected and found myself, I mean, I look back now and think, well, that's a weird thing for an artist to be doing, starting to do something essentially like academic research and um, going through his letters there and paying attention in ways that um, now I see are the things I enjoy about being a poet um, and, and one some of the things I enjoy about being a poet. It's almost as if you were looking for clues, too, to something that you were figuring out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's so funny that, that search, like, um, you find, it's like you find something interesting and then you just want more of it or, or, yeah, and like further it in and it's not, doesn't it? yeah, like, because that's what happens more than like a clue. Yeah, it's like a clue that doesn't actually get you closer. It's sort of, it keeps breaking <laughs> that fracturing and it keeps opening stuff up and that's, um, that feels very good, and I think that feels uh, changes the world around you because as those things are opening up, for me at least, there was a lot of stuff that was happening in language um, with those poems that uh, that I hadn't experienced. I think he there's a great, a beautiful, beautiful book called After Lorca uh, that that I read and it was writing in relation to Lorca, who was a poet who at the time I really, 
really liked and um and found that to write in relation to this i think i think it maybe was the first time that i really understood uh the possibility of a literary community that involved uh living and dead people simultaneously and it did another thing for me which was it was instantly when you find that kind of a community you're instantly accepted because the the dead people can't say no and so all of a sudden i had very close you strong friends the dead yeah it's so easy to you know you're just like oh this is you know i just have to hustle up the money to buy the book and then they hang out in my apartment forever you know like they don't they don't even get to leave so so i think that that and that was really that going back to college i i then i went back to hampshire the next year and finished up i had one year left and i and I think there was part of me that thought, oh, I'm going to go back. And part of me that thought, no, I don't want to blow it open. Yeah. Or like, something. or like, and it was, I wanted like, I felt like I wasn't getting enough of an education. And then I left and realized, and I, and I audited classes at, well, I say audited, I snuck into classes at Berkeley and I snuck into classes at the Art Institute of San Francisco. And, um, and then I thought, oh, my God, I am getting an education back there. i got to go back and finish. And so I spent my last year finishing up there. And, um, and I went back and I just made books uh, during that time, but I wrote a lot of poems. And by the time I graduated, uh, I think I was just starting. I mean, I still make art. I still make artist books. And I still do a lot of the things that I, that I went to school for and cared about then. You make artist books. Does that mean in your work with Wave Press, how you're creating these books, Joshua? Or do you mean something else? I don't I know mean, what that means. I mean something else. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think, that, I think that in my job, some of the skills that I learned in, in college and continued with things in relation to uh, designs and aesthetics of books and stuff like that, that comes into play. But I mean all the journals that I write in, that I keep in my pocket, like uh, they, I bind them myself showing the oh, camera, okay. show the radio. I know. We, gotta um, get to, we have but, to beam this up. Oh, this is very cool. So I, so I bind them myself. Um, thank you. And then I, uh, I also make little, I make books, um, books with visual components, one of a kind books or, you know, 20 copies of a small poetry book for friends, right. things like that. So sometimes before you actually have, for example, take it out in the world, you uh, would have maybe set it up so that you had a few copies of take it on your own. Or, or, actually, actually, or. they sort of what happens is poems sort of build into a book like Take It, but then other things that won't ever make it into a book like some some bit of writing will appear and I and I visualize it as a little tiny pamphlet. So it doesn't ever become a sort of published book and I just make a little like accordion pamphlet or something to share with with friends and. And it doesn't find a home beyond that. And that's um, that I think is really is something that I took away from a lot of the stuff in the in when I was studying art and still really enjoy, which is the ability to make some physical thing that can be given uh, that has this um, that it's one of a kind also means that the giving of it is full of something something different than it's a gift uh, rather than commerce yeah it's definitely that it's definitely a gift rather than commerce it's also uh it's also way more 
personal. Um, it, it, I don't know if that's true. I think there's something, there is something very intense and private about either giving or receiving a one-of-a-kind object, no matter what it is. Yes. And and that's interesting because it seems like there was Object Lesson was uh-huh. a literary magazine you, you did it like yeah. for a short time. Yeah, well, it's interesting how that's an years. echo of it in some weird way. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking yesterday about um, I was talking yesterday about publishing. People were asking about about stuff like I work in publishing now, and I started a little magazine with friends. So I was interested in poetry. Even I started a magazine when I was seventeen, so my last year of high school, and then continued continued to do literary publishing for now that's 20 years ago which is intense to say (laughs) well well you know what let's take a short break on that (laughs) that revelation by joshua beckman he's here in the studio um in town to read at shaman drum for his latest take it i'm t hetzel you're listening to living writers we'll be back Listening to Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Joshua Beckman. Um, Joshua Beckman in town, visiting from Seattle and Brooklyn. And many, man of the world, Joshua <laughs> Beckman. <laughs> so, so traveling has always been just something that you do or you make happen in your life. It's necessary. And is it necessary just for living or necessary for the work itself, um, for the absorbing of experience? Or Yeah, it's, you know, I think each time I keep thinking about it in different ways. Initially, initially, like after college, I, um, I moved a lot 
and I identified very, I could identify very clearly why I thought I was doing that. And it was basically find the cheapest place I can to live where I have to work the least and read and write as much as I can. So it meant, you know, for a little while I lived in Providence, Rhode Island, when Providence, Rhode Island was incredibly cheap. And then for a little while I lived, then I talked to a friend in upstate, or I met a guy and who's now become a friend for years, um, who lived in upstate New York, in Kingston, New York. And he said, oh, I have this big place and it cost me $400 so we can split it. And it was a five-story row house, actually. It was a huge, huge place. So um, we, we couldn't heat it, but we could live there. And that was, you know, and so it was like, okay, I'll go there and make whatever money I can. And then... And I think because of those those reasons for being places, um, I couldn't stay too long in a lot of them. And I think I got a uh, certainly some some sort of thrill and some sort of opening up of um, my imagination and my attention when I moved to a new place and had to. It, it's in the way I think about this when you go to another country and you start to engage with a new currency that you're paying attention to each of the coins and you're paying attention to each of the bills and the and commerce takes on um more like all of a sudden you're thinking about how heavy the coins are and we've become used to how heavy a quarter and a nickel and a dime are so you don't think about it and the way things like that open up um very physically, very sensually, specifically, I think when I moved to a new place, it's like the whole city is like that. And and I think that felt very good um, moving into a city. And then I would then I would be set up there for a little while and get along or not get along and then just kind of move on. Can you, um, for the places that you now have in some ways settled a bit, like <sighs> Seattle or Brooklyn, are you still able to see it? Like, is there... Are you still able to see it or to, to weigh it or to feel the right. depth in it? Or 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 is what do you think? That's interesting. I mean, I think that being someone who moved around so much and really enjoyed that, um, that's a question I ask myself. Like, oh, am I actually seeing it? And um, really, like, goodness, I hope so. Because if not, then do I have to just keep doing this? Um, and I think that what... Uh, one of the things, I mean, beyond beyond really trying to recognize when you're in a place, like when I'm in Brooklyn, in my apartment, um, walking there and paying attention to it. And it's not just as simple, though I find myself doing this a lot now, which is trying to take 10 different routes somewhere uh, back and forth. It's, um, I think those are just, those are just times... I think when you move someplace, those are times when it's an overwhelming feeling. Um, I think for me, poetry is um, can be the manifestation of those sorts of attentions. And so I think I just find them differently. I know that certainly over the course of the past 10 years, a little more, um, I've lived on and off in New York, mo mostly in Staten Island, I didn't quite realize that. I guess about half the time in Staten Island, half the time in Brooklyn, in different places. 
But what I what I know about being in both of those places, being in New York in general, is that partially because of the public transportation and partially because of the just vast numbers of people and movement and all of that energy that there's so that you encounter in a really personal way, in a really physically close way, in a sensual way, meaning um, you just, it's, I, someone asked me, someone who from Seattle was saying they were thinking about moving to New York, but they were worried about their uh, like physical, personal space. They don't like people touching them. I <laughs> thought, oh my God, you cannot. I was like, you, if you have a job that you have to take public transportation, you will physically, you will actually physically touch hundreds of people in the course of a week, or possibly in the course of a day, depending if you go at rush hour or not. And then as I was explaining this to someone from Seattle who you don't touch hundreds of people in a year. You, you certainly hundreds of strangers, you know, and so that's just not, not to mention, you know, over like how much you overhear, how much you see, how much you smell, like how much, you know, there is going on in all of, in relation to all of the senses that, uh, that's that's for me very energizing yeah it seems like you you um need some form of kinetic um something kinetic happening whether it was when you were usually using the typewriter when you were kind of beginning with mm -hmm. these explorations and and now it's it's sort of the motion and this is what you, you accumulate energy that way then yeah. in some way um do you think New York is specific to that for you to feed you? Or do you think if you were in Paris or London or somewhere where you you can be crushed against humanity in a good way? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, what do you think? Or is New York what you know? And that's actually a good step for you to be like, I, I love that. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that I think one of the things about New York in particular because I think everywhere works like that. Being on tour works like this for me a lot because when you first enter a town, everything's touching you. Like every building is different, everything, or like coming back here. So I've been to Ann Arbor probably six or seven times. Because you came here on the, the poetry bus when you were on that project too, oh, yeah. right? I, the... I came here for almost every book. Okay. Um, I've read well, here good. for almost every book. At yeah, Shaman oh, yeah. Drum each time? Um, no, different places oh, different each places. time, okay. but Shaman Drum... Um, once or twice before, mm -hmm. and the university a few times, and you know a bunch of places. And so, what's very interesting is that movement of like, I have very little history with with much of the town, and then I have some. So I, sometimes I'm I turned a corner this morning right after Pauline, and I thought, oh, I know where the bookstore is, and I just got there, and I was very surprised at being able to just sort of feel my way in it. And Some then, recorded subconscious yeah. memory of, of the place itself. Yeah. So that stuff, all of those energies, I think one thing that's been interesting for me in the past uh, couple years is that I've started for the first part, point in my life, um, for the first time, to find that in rural, uh, in rural experience. And that is, um, I love the country and I, and I, um, 
I found, I think that, I think maybe it's because I started reading uh, liter- like more rural literature, natural, a lot of naturalist like writing. Berry, or like, who are you? Oh, like John Clare and oh, like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like Gilbert White, mostly 19th and 18th century, um, like, like English naturalists mostly. Um, and recently reading Darwin. Um, and, <laughs> How timely. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, so I think that what I didn't, what I hadn't recognized, um, on a, I obviously intellectually I could recognize it, but on a sort of deeper level, I hadn't recognized that because most of the writing that I had really connected with was writing of human interaction, where all of these sensual experiences were related to human life, um, that I couldn't make the leap from enjoying being in the country to writing. And, and to feeling things, because I think that I tend to feel much of what I'm experiencing through poetry, that somehow, somehow there's a movement um, towards a poem that helps... I don't know what I don't I really don't understand what I like what I'm saying right now. I think that it's I know that it does something um, for me in the experience, not just of writing it, but of writing all the time and experiencing and feeling some movement through those things. So now recently I've been enjoying being in the country and feeling some of that same kinetic energy, uh, which should be and will be to anyone um, who enjoys and spends time in the country, incredibly obvious. Right, right. But it seems like, um, well, that's a lovely thing to be something that you're just coming into. I mean, that must just feel like lifeblood in a way too, to see, to feel something new and connect to this new. Um, but it seems like in, in, at least in take it even, um, I, I know there's like a like poems that involve maybe camping or or I feel like uh, in in a in a previous book of yours um, I, I I have the images of trees and of being yeah. out and and lots of white space on the page so I guess in a way I'm surprised to hear you say that because right. those those images were present whereas you're saying that to you still felt like a very human to human connection always like that being the the pivot. Yeah, it's, I mean, and now you look back and you can still find it and see it. Like, I feel like there were always like mice and raccoons and different animals and like birds and then trees growing, but always in relation to people. Like, and now I do, I recognize in my, in Take It, that it's even more populated by, it's getting overgrown, you know, and I think that's, that's good, you know. Well, let's take a short break and we'll be back. And and in the next bit, I promise, we're going to hear a couple of Joshua Beckman's poems. He's in town with his latest, Take It. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. What a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun. I could flash on the screen in a blink of an eye and be gone from me. Soft and sweet, let me hold it close and keep it here with me. 
Hi, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Joshua Beckman. And you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Aren't you smart? <laughs> uh, well, um, okay, before we go, without further ado, um, Joshua is going to read a poem um, from Take It. Is it, Joshua? You're going to start yes. out with great. Yeah, I'll read a, a shorter poem. None of the poems in the book have titles, so this one doesn't either. Then, then, the first cooled surface of labor, like a table of smoke above a fire, above which is light, a bellows, the mysterious function of sand, tacked of great stone, the giant's tooth, as when you stare out over a landscape, seeing some destroyed tree or rock where it seems not to have been before, where in fact nothing seems to have been before. I placed my head on the pillow where an abstract chemistry appeared to explain its objects. I put the telephone on my chest and crushed it with a rock and then ate the insides. From our car, we saw the coyote getting closer. What they say is, these poor creatures have been domesticated beyond their ability to successfully reason the dangers that approaching the road hold for them. Continue in your cars at a thoughtful pace. Our park is full of a variety of natural curiosities which thrive unharmed by your attention. I love those those last couple of lines especially. Oh, those thank are, you. Those, thank you. So let's talk about that, like the no titles <laughs> too. Um, because what was your decision with that? Because... Um, because it, it might lead you to think that all of the poems are are inextricably interconnected or that the voice will be the same or one of these things, you know. But I don't think that's the case with Take It. I feel like there's... D- yeah. You you talk. Yeah, it's your no, book. that's great. But I like it. But I like it. I think that um, it, it almost hasn't been a choice. Um, it's not... I haven't titled poems in a long time. Um, I think that... The poems that I've written on my own, it's probably been six or seven years since I've titled them. I mean, individually. Then every once in a while, a title comes up for a poem. But um, it might be that they are... I think that there's a movement... um, I think sometimes having a title is a very... uh, strong and balancing thing for a poem and most of the time for a poem uh for me a poem is not a balancing thing and so i think there's something um that keeps not i think it keeps not happening i don't i i think the act of making a title for a poem isn't the isn't a it isn't my default it isn't i don't think oh, I'm not going to make a title this time, or I don't get rid of a title. Titles don't don't appear, and poems sometimes do. Um, is that also because it might be, to see if I'm understanding you, Joshua, like, is it that a title would be too much of, like, a container, whereas you don't feel like the, the poem's contained? Or Yeah, I or... think to some extent, yes. I think, I think there's my desire to... I think some of these, the poems in this book function in a lot of different ways. And I think in my last book, a lot of the not, a lot of not having titles for the poems, um, it meant what it did was you'd move through them and you'd think, okay, 
maybe this is part of the last one or maybe this um is part of the next one or where does it go and you'd and and it was a unbalancing in that way but also sometimes you'd pick up more sort of cohesive strands uh throughout at different points certainly in parts of the book there are a lot but in this book these poems i think have very strong uh shifts in tone in voice and narrative and um I was trying to explain them on a number of occasions. I've tried to explain them. And one of the things that's made the most sense um, for a bunch of them that a bunch of them have characters with names and there's a lot of narrative action. And what I realized was it seemed as though they were a page torn out of the most confusing part of a novel where a lot of people who existed in the novel and all of the things they were doing bumped into each other at one point on their way to continue existing. And I, and that's the point which I'm talking about. And to, I think there's already a very strange quality of kind of pulling that out and not explaining what happens or how, how it got there. Um, but there's something that felt even more strange about um, than calling it something else. I mean, and, and that's even taking it a little further when I didn't have to ask that question exactly. They didn't they didn't want to have titles. Okay. Um, and so... It wasn't like you struggled with it. It wasn't, no. I mean, no more than... I mean, I think you struggle, you <laughs> sit there with with everything, you know. <laughs> you sit there with the poem and hey, you look at it. What am I saying? It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I struggled with it, but it's not... It isn't necessarily the default to have a title um, in my mind for, for a poem. Um, yeah, yeah which, which is really... That's quite refreshing to hear a little bit because sometimes you you hear people's like almost those prepackaged phrases like the work of the title like think about what that's doing right yeah. you know? um, sure but and it is funny because when I looked at your table of contents then Joshua I also thought um, like is there a way then these are supposed to be working together as their own poem you know in the as the table of contents even like I don't. I don't know why. That was something that I wondered. Um, oh, I'm not sure what you mean. You mean, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, as if, you, you know, if you, because the first poem just happens to be Dear Angry Mob. And so yeah. that's a very, <laughs> like a, a clear beginning of something. And yes. so to see that in the table of contents also leads maybe the eye downward to think of it as a poem in itself. Like if you were to yep. read the list of first lines. Yeah, certainly. So I, I don't and, know. Well, it's interesting because what the table of contents is doing is taking lines from all the poems. Now it's taking the first line from all the poems, but it's doing something that's different than listing discrete items like the titles, the titles, how these items like the poems have been named. And that's what a table of contents usually does. It's like, here are the names of all the things in the book. And instead this table of contents says, here's a little part of the beginning of all the things in the book. And, and there is some difference in that. And I think that's why a few people have said something about just reading the table of contents all the way through. And I think that's why, because you're, it doesn't ask you to stop. Uh, it doesn't ask you to stop and it doesn't show, um, it shows less control, I think. It's not that there is less control um, in a poem without a title, not not for the reader or for the writer, but there is something, 
you have to go you have to go into it and you're not sure you're not sure why or you or you, you don't have to go into it but if you're going to read it um you're not put you're not um stabilized in any in any way which is very funny cuz recently i've been I wrote a bunch of poems with titles, and it was fun. It's very, I, I was enjoying writing titles, and I thought, oh, I like, this is fun. This is something I haven't done in a long time. In seven years. Yeah, totally. And so, um, yeah, so so who knows? So right now, my mind, I'm answering these questions about a book that's finished now for about a year, but in my mind, I'm starting to think about titles as this really fun thing. Right, right. What's, what can you, um, off the top of your head, can you think, what's your latest title? Like, um, oh, I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Oh, he's just being cagey, everyone. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but so, so what is the current project then? What, what is it um, that you're, because I, it sounds, I feel, I feel like you have another book that's supposed to be out, um, as well, but, but is it, what's your current, what, or coming up or? Um, I think maybe. I think I have a bunch of, you know, I'm always working on translations. Um, Five always, meters of poems. Yeah, is that, coming that out should soon? be coming out soon. Um, then I'm working on other other poetry translation books with with different uh, collaborators. I'm I'm writing poems. I think right now, in particular, when this book came out and on the way to it coming out, it's really an open space where. I'm doing a lot of work, I'm writing, I'm thinking a lot, and I'm working in a number of different forms, poetry, and uh, reading a lot of naturalist stuff, and writing some, and criticism, and not um, not identifying the form it will take yet. And that's, uh, th I think that after a bunch of years of doing that, the the work starts to build and shake down and stuff starts to happen where where a form grows and i like being in the real uh wilderness of it of real i don't know what there's no particular project there's no there's a a big pile of poems in my bag that i'm working on and um yeah that's, that's that are with it. you that yeah, are with yeah. you right now do you always carry them with you joshua um you know, no, I don't. I mean, if I travel, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I wouldn't. Yeah, if I not if you were going to get a donut. Not if I'm going to get a donut, <laughs> exactly. But you know, I'm traveling, and like to work on them. Yeah, um, so they're so, with you. Yeah, so they're with you. Would you want to read one of those? No, I didn't think so. But I thought I'd ask. How about Thanks. let's hear another poem from one of the bound books? Okay, sure. <laughs> um, okay. Did Did you have one that you want, or should I? Oh wait, do you have a? Or should I do some humming while you're looking? Okay. For oh. That? <laughs> okay. Maybe a little bit of humming, and then I'm just going to turn to the, the page. Pages, okay. And I'm going to get there in a second. And this is from Here Take It go. too, is it? Yes. Or is this from Shake? Or, or this is from Take It. Okay. Um, from. And this yes. would be this. Uh, well, here we go. Tinsel's cold stove, first like rotten sex, and then like a drop of nothing that creates a fog before your eyes. This dead winter morning, let's just say I indulged in a little bit of over-directing. The extras were to be quiet and gritty as Texan bartenders. No, no, I think I said soft and essential as raindrops made of baby cloth. Listen, people. When Tinsel sings his sad number, I want half of you to be rays of light and the other half to be beams. 
remember, it's more than him just getting his heat turned off. His life is really a gully huck of dumb suds reflecting from his shoes like he's got sausages stuck in those things. And if the chorus doesn't recognize his subtlety, then no one will. And then, in usual flourish, he walked in and cried, Mon frere, you shake like a tractor at a samba lesson. The gall. But showing my personal fortitude and business-like grace, I said, as part of a raffle, I won this flight. And I guess I just thought it would do you some good, Tinsel. Take it, I said. Get out of town. We'll work on the voiceovers while you're gone, which was never going to happen. But it didn't matter. When he returned, it was completely different. His mind was a calm, reluctant piece of coral, and his words spread out as tankers making their way from Japan, weeks between them, and yet in the wide ocean still forming a line, which was absolute glory for ending a movie, total constancy and incontrovertible snow. The Times said, touching. Thank you, Joshua. Oh, you bet. It's all yeah. And it's always great to hear the the poem that has the um, kind of gives birth to the. Well, I guess since we've been talking about titles, like the <laughs> title of the, this particular collection, right? Um, yeah, because what could you not name a book then, Joshua? <laughs> well, what's funny about it? What's funny? What's funny about this is that um, that poem was written after I had the title for the book. <laughs> And it wasn't... It wasn't... It, you didn't mean to do I didn't it. know I did it. You know, I didn't know I did it until later. Yeah. Um, I think that there, this title for this book came up very early. I had sort of... I'd been building and building in these poems. And when the poems started, as I was saying before, started to kind of... Make shake their down. own formation. Yeah. yeah, when they started to to, I felt like there was something I wrote on the... I wrote on the... I typed on the manila folder take it just as the title and i thought oh my god i think that is i think that's going to be the title and then i went on probably writing for much longer than i thought I me mean, you know i probably was writing poems for another year and a half and um and in the course of that time wrote that poem and i think that it's so interesting for me um to, I mean, to have not realized it while it was happening, except for that I had been carrying those two words around for a year. So they were they showed up earlier and they were there. But, you know, my earlier books, almost the same thing happened. Um, one of the books, something I expected to be different, was a repeated line from a poem that was never didn't end up in the book. Um but there was some other poem that had a very similar line in it. Um, same thing with same thing with things are happening. Um, so it's a it's a organic. Yeah, it is. It feels that way. Um, I think one one time your time has come is a is was taken. It was like that's in the in the book, mm. and I took it out and made it the title. But was that because somehow one hadn't kind of drifted towards you at that point or, or was it just because that's a decision then yeah, that you made? Yeah. I had um, one had one had shown up and I knew that's what it was going to be. And I kept it for months and then told my friends and they were 
<laughs> they were they were very convincing that it was terrible. Um, and they were like, really? you, you really, like, that would be a, t- was, that would be, what I was it? What was I, it? I, what I'll say is I can't remember. Come um, on. No way. So, <laughs> so on, I believe them, I believe them enough not to answer writers. that question. <laughs> um, I can't remember actually exactly what it was, but it was long. And, um, it wound around the book basically, a few times. It's a tiny little book with tiny little poems and it was a long title with like a subtitle. Um, so I ended up pulling out maybe 20 different individual lines from the book and bounced around with those on the front of the manila folder for a while and would read them to different friends. And, um, and my friend Matt was, was, this was the one, I mean, this, and this, this felt like the right title for this book. Well, it's funny because going back to your latest collection, Take It, um, you, you know, the poem that you, you start out the, the book with is Dear Angry Mob. Yeah. So it's it's got this similar tone. I don't know if that was um, purposeful, but um, you A know. similar tone? Well, Dear Angry Mob and sort of like take it, it's very forceful and uh-huh. so is this um, yeah. Dear Angry Mob address. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there is I think there's like a, I think in a lot of certainly my work um, there's a lot of that direct address and uh, and in this book there are a lot there are a lot I think there are four essentially epistolary poems um, like Constance I think yeah there's the one Constance Dear Angry Mob and then there's two others where letters appear in the middle yes. of the poems um, and those are that's an even more I think just in the language there's a lot of there's a lot of direct address but then the poems too Let's let's take a short break, Joshua, and we'll be back. Okay. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers. Today, we have Joshua Beckman, his book, Take It. Uh, we'll be back. Oh, no. no. 
Welcome back. I'm C. Hetzel, and you're listening to Living Writers uh, on WCBN. Um, thanks so much to Alex Bellhodge for giving us all these great tunes in between, uh, chosen by Joshua Beckman, um, but brought to you by Alex Bellhodge. <laughs> that was amazing. Some early whalers, Bob Marley yeah. and the whalers there. Beautiful. Um, and it's sunny today yeah, on April 16th. It's great and warm. <laughs> it is. Oh, my gosh. It's a beautiful day. So, um, so, so Joshua, with your... With your work, um, it seems like you've, you, with the bus tours and with your traveling and 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 kind of reaching out, and and you've you've done collaborative work w- mm-hmm. with with several poets, right? Even even it's to improvise poems on the spot. I, I listened to um, Spy Satellites, uh-huh. and ever, you know, just to, you know, a little bit before coming to the station. Oh, um, so, can you talk a little bit about about this and 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 maybe why you do it because sometimes poems can feel so very interior but this feels like something that's um not working with someone else so it's actually something very exterior in some way and trusting of that other person and then again with an audience a live audience oh, yeah. so how well, that's a lot of questions probably all in one ball I mean, I, it's so <laughs> funny it's i i mean for me there there are many i'm drawn to poetry for many different reasons and one of one of i mean many of them are interior personal um things that i have very private experiences of and those are uh really they're meaningful parts of my life and um and i think that they they've made me into a person who then cares so much about poetry that the other times I want to talk to people about it and I want to spend my time with poets. I mean, I think so you're that, like a poet ambassador or evangelist, right? Or junkie possibly might be the right, <laughs> a little closer. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I feel like I was at a high school this week and, um, I, yeah, how is you know, that different from West Point? Right? Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> so I was at one, maybe I was an, you know, evangelist and one, you know, ambassador. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I think, but I do, but I do recognize that I like to, I like the, the input of poets. I like, um, engaging socially with, uh, with lang with people who care about language and the world. And, um, it's just exciting for me. And so I think that that's repeatedly drawn me towards doing more public things, even though I'm kind of a private person. I don't, it's, it's a strange balance when I think about it. I feel private and then I'm on stage a lot or I'm with groups of people a lot. Um, but I think that's not so off. There's a different from most arts. When, when you're an artist and you create your work, um, what happens is it becomes public. And when you're a writer and I think a lot about the second my poems become public, they turn into these books that people can experience privately. And so before they become books, maybe I read them to groups of people, but once it's a book, then then we're, then it goes back to this private experience. Like I'll be on tour, I'll be public, and then when that cools out, then people will have this book and have a very private experience. So there's that weird mix all the time for me and... Um, 
I don't, yeah. I think really the answer to the question for me is that I just, I like it and I want to, I want to be involved in poetry a lot. Um, and that means collaborating with people, whether it's in your translation projects, um, because are, are you working with living writers in the translations? Living so writers or other translators or, okay. well, it's, you know, it's the, the, the jump there is just hang out with poets long enough. You're going to end up doing something, you know? And, um, I feel like a lot of the poets out like who are listening just laughed. We're like, maybe not, but, um, <laughs> or but, maybe you run the other way. Right. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good just to build community. <laughs> but, um, it's. For me, like I hang out with poets from other countries, right. we end up translating. I hang out with my friends who are poets, we end up writing poems together. Uh, it just, it's just, we end up reading to each other. We end up doing all of these things, which are kinds of collaborations, whether they manifest in in some poem that we show to someone else with our names on it, or whether it's just a conversation moving into poetry. Right, right. Um, well, let's, you know, we're coming to the end of our time, Joshua. Okay. So let's have um, one last poem and we'll, clo we'll close with that. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been great. Oh, it's been great to have you here. Cool. Okay, this is the last poem of my new book. Roger called for another long beach of grasses to be laid before him. And when it was done for pheasants, and when the pheasants had been brought, he called for his gun, which was to be some wood-handled replica of another gun. And when it came, he asked that small, pink-faced children of a northern European variety be placed around it in a semicircle, protecting it and him from the brutish yet kind-hearted thief he had called for earlier, and who had come and lunched and waited in the foreground. And when he asked for the sun and the sun's rays and for the unexplained magic of photosynthesis that would grow the grasses high, he asked also for a hat, so that whoever might come looking for him in the tall grasses could, by the sight of the hat, find him. And when this came, he felt relieved, as if that very last thing had been the most sensible. But it was in this exact landscape that the mossy box of bullets sat, a magnifying glass leaned up against it, thinking, wrong, wrong, wrong. No one ever knows what to wish for. Thank you. You've been listening to Joshua Beckman, his latest Take It. I'm T. Hetzel. This has been Living Writers. Until next time. Let's keep smiling. Let's keep laughing. Let's be happy. Keep smiling, let's keep laughing, let's be happy. From Bogota, Colombia, this is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, June 3rd, 2009. Israel conducts its largest ever military exercises this week, 
while President Obama meets with heads of state in the Middle East. And today marks the 20th anniversary of the suppression of pro-democracy protests in Tiananmen Square, as China's government blocks news websites and bars democracy activists from entering the country, FSRN speaks to those who witnessed the rise and fall of the 1989 democracy movement. Stay tuned for these stories and more. But first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for Free Speech Radio News. The Obama administration